Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at a headline that says, Mr. Rogers' film transforms downtown Pittsburgh into New York City. Yeah, it really does. Like as in, you shouldn't even attempt to navigate it with a personal vehicle. That's all I want to say. It's New York City down here. Jeez. And if it, as if it weren't bad enough, it's every time you turn a corner, it says road closed. Uh, <laughs> road closed. And it's not just, you can't blame it all on the Mr. Rogers film. Oh, man. I'm sorry. It's, I got to get back to doing public transportation. I really do. Okay, so, I don't know. The hurricane seems to be a bit of a bust, doesn't it? You know, damn. I do have some, uh, why is it a typhoon in, there's a typhoon about to hit the Philippines that I think is bigger and badder than Florence proved to be. But why is it a typhoon? It's the same thing. It's a typhoon is a hurricane. And with the typhoons, they don't seem to say category one, two, three, four, and five. They just call it a typhoon. Why would that be? I mean, in terms of uh, global meteorology, why would you have the same? It's not like you have different names for earthquakes depending on where they appear on the globe. So why is this meteorological event called one thing I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, that's just a, it's a question I have. If anyone cares to attempt a response, I'll be thrilled. <clears throat> uh, some people have said that uh, Trump has now, uh, the most despicable tweet of all time is the one that came out uh, yesterday. Uh and if, in case you missed it, okay, here's Trump. 3,000 people did not die in the hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island, after, caps, the storm had hit, they had anywhere from, what, 6 to 18 deaths. As time went by, it did not go up by much. Then, a long time later, they start to report really large numbers, like 3,000. This was done by the Democrats in order to make me look bad when I was successfully raising billions of dollars to help rebuild Puerto Rico. If a person died for any reason, like old age, just add them onto the list. I love Puerto Rico, he ends. And I think the New York Times editorial page got it right um, in their headline. For Trump, he's the victim in Puerto Rico. That's correct. He feels that he's the victim. In Puerto Rico with 3,000 people dead. He also later tweeted something to the effect of, 
underappreciated. Great job in Puerto Rico, even though an inaccessible island. Uh, any of you been to Puerto Rico? I don't think it's inaccessible. Uh, people come and go all the time. An inaccessible island with very poor electricity and a totally incompetent mayor of San Juan. Meanwhile, in the Post-Gazette today, which I get thanks to one of you, you know who you are, thank you very much, I am piggybacking on his subscription, uh, there was a letter to the editor from some awful human being in Monroeville who said, he was excoriating Obama for speaking out and uh, saying, casting shade on the wondrous presidency of Donald Trump. And this guy in Monroeville actually said that Donald Trump has done more in less than two years than Barack Obama did in eight. So, that guy in Monroeville, if you want to put a name, and he's lucky I don't have a print edition so I didn't cut it out, I, is that you put a name to these, this 32, 33% of Americans who will not, who refuse to live in the real world. Really incredible. Let me give you some uh, real-world history about uh, about the Outer Banks, pretty much, and about, uh, you know, like Hilton Head, South Carolina, about this area on the coast that is getting hammered. This used to be, before the 50s, almost 100% African-American population. That coastline. There were no... McMansions, there were no hotels, there were no, you know, rich white folks with second homes living there. There were nothing but black people living in little towns up and down that coastline. And in fact, in, uh, in 1950, now, this is a fascinating fact that you don't know. In 1950, African Americans made up about one quarter of North Carolina's population. They were like 25% of the population of North Carolina is African American. You know what it is today? About a fifth, a little bit lower. Where did those African Americans go? Well, a lot of them were the ones that were living on these coastal areas of uh, the Carolinas. And they owned the land. They owned, black people owned that coastal land. Now let's head back another century to the Civil War. White plantation owners were never into that land. 
It flooded a lot. It wasn't good for their purposes. And then after the Civil War and the Union Army had taken over and the white plantation owners ran, the former slaves took over that land. And in fact, it's there along that coastline where uh, General William Tecumseh Sherman began handing out plots of land to freed slaves, slaves so they could begin farming and become independent landowners. This was where the whole idea of 40 acres and a mule really was first born. And so African Americans flocked to this coastal area to seek freedom, first of all, from the white folks and Jim Crow, and from the servitude they had known to own a little plot of their own land. And now we cut back to 1950s, post-World War II America. Things going gangbusters. The white middle class really exploding. Money all over the place and developers started looking and saying, hey, that coastal land, man, we could develop that. People could come and vacation on it. And so, private developers in cahoots with southern state governments along the coastline dreamed up all kinds of schemes to essentially fleece the black landowners of their land. They essentially stole the land from black people using all kinds of, oh yes, legal mechanisms because they made the laws, then they took the land. Until the 1950s, let's take Hilton Head, Hilton Head Island. An African-American child could grow up on Hilton Head Island, live there their entire childhood and never see a white face. And now, of course, Hilton Head is a playground of the rich and the white. New York Times today did a piece called, it's headline, Driven from Homes Along Carolina Coast Long Before the Storm. And there's a picture of uh, freed slaves on Hilton Head in 1864 standing with a Union soldier. So all of a sudden, as soon as those coastlines became potential money makers and a potential engine for the economy there, 
the white power structure went for it, and of course, it was the black people who paid. And then what the white people did is what they do so well. They essentially began greedily destroying that which the black people had lived on in relative harmony with nature. They overbuilt the sheer number of people now living in these coastal areas is is mind-boggling. Actually, I was talking about this yesterday, was I not, given how vulnerable they are. It makes no sense for there to be that density of population on our coast. So causeways were built and bridges were built so all the white people could get to the ocean so they could build second homes, vacation homes. And suddenly, African Americans were in the crosshairs of this growth industry. And if you think about it, that's where African Americans end up all the time when white folks decide, hmm... I think I could make some money with that real estate. So we see it happening now, or pretty much has, in East Liberty. It's the same kind of thing as urban renewal. It's what happened to the lower hill. When white people want where black people are living, they take it. Legally. Also, a big player in all of this was the Army Corps of Engineers because they would come in and uh, make certain decisions, do certain things that resulted in uh, little, literally the confiscation of black-owned land or that black-owned land literally got washed out to sea because of certain engineering decisions that were made by uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. This information uh, sort of tempers my sympathy for any of the white folks who are now being displaced. But of course, they will come right back in, flooding in themselves. Developers will come with them even though the seas continue to rise. There's money to be made. There are a lot of people in shelters right now, right? Let's talk about shelters because here's another underreported story, okay? There's a lot of people in shelters in this country, and most of them are brown people, they're children. Let's think back. We still know there are over, what, f there are almost 500 children separated from their parents. Now, months ago, still being traumatized, probably for life, because we, 
that's we the people, the government of the United States, made no provision to make sure that we could reunite them with their families. And even though hundreds of children separated from their families have been reunited or released, here's a little fact that you probably didn't hear simply because, of course, our news media can only focus on one story at a time. The overall number of detained migrant children has exploded to the highest ever recorded right now. You heard that story? There are more of these children now in tent cities, in shelters, in detention than ever in our history. The population levels at federally contracted shelters for these migrant kids have, as we've been watching Trump's tweets and an approaching hurricane, have shot up fivefold, five times the number of kids are now in detention facilities in this country than were there last year at this time. The number right now, at least when this story was written a day or two ago, is almost 13,000. 13,000. In May of last year, there were 2,400. more than fivefold. So, while we're not paying attention, while our news media is not paying attention, the number of children in detention facilities, some of them tent cities, we're, we're expanding the, the ones that are tent cities because they keep grabbing more kids. From 2,400 to almost 13,000 children. The system is now near capacity. Most of the children are children who have crossed the border by themselves without their parents. They get grabbed and they get stuck in a tent in Texas. Now, the way this used to work is family members. These kids went because they have family in this country. Family members would claim them, and they could then be released. Family members aren't coming forward anymore because if they do, they'll get nabbed. 
So the children just pile up. The fears brought on by the Trump administration and his anti-immigrant goons in ICE are keeping people who used to rescue these children from doing so. Just Tuesday of this week, the feds announced that it is going to triple the size of a tent city in Texas so that it will be able to house close to 4,000 of these children. And these are harsh conditions. The tent cities are not like, you know, a, a brick-and-mortar shelter. They lack the kind of facilities. They also cost three times the amount per child of a typical shelter. So the number of kids being released has just plummeted. And that means the population inside our concentration camps, guys, where we now concentrate these uh, pesky kids, brown kids, keep coming up here looking for a life. And what happens now is because of changes made by this despicable Trump administration. They put in new rules and said that anyone who steps forward to take one of these kids would have to be fingerprinted. And not only would they have to be fingerprinted, but anybody in their household <clears throat> would also have to submit to fingerprinting. And, of course, that data is shared with ICE. <clears throat> so the kids are seen by the Trump administration as bait. We keep them here in these sweltering tents where they are subjected to cruelty. They are not allowed to touch each other. They are not allowed a hug. They are alone in a strange land. And even when someone does step forward and says, I, I know this kid, this kid is my sister's son, I will take this kid, yes, I will be fingerprinted, yes, my children will be fingerprinted, yes, it will all be fingerprinted, I want to get him or her out of here. And even when they step forward, they wait for months and months and months. Is that story being reported? New York Times. Shelters near capacity as more youth migrants are detained, more youth migrants are detained than ever before. Five-fold increase in one 
years time. Oh, meanwhile, isn't this nice? Jeff Bezos and his lovely wife, Mackenzie, are pledging $2 billion for um, homeless people and to fund preschools. Believe me, $2 billion is a drop in the bucket. He's the richest person in the world. They don't even know how much. Maybe $164 billion, somebody suggests, that he's worth. Now, understand that um, Jeff Bezos and his... Jeff Bezos just got, what, a huge, huge gift from the Trump administration. Did he not? Corporate tax rate way down. His tax rate way down. I got news for you, $2 billion probably isn't even as much as what he should <laughs> be paying in taxes. He is known as a stingy billionaire, multi-billionaire. His largest gift up until this pledge of $2 billion has been $33 million. And believe me, that pales beside what the Gates have done and and others have done. And let I mean he's being lauded for this. And I just want to say, give me a break. Because his Amazon, his mammoth monolithic Amazon, you'll recall earlier this year when the Seattle City Council came up with a idea that would have said that any employer there that um, is of a certain size, it was aimed at Amazon and some of the other big, big, big mammoth corporations there, that they would have to pay a head tax on their employees. And that tax would go to build affordable housing for people in Seattle and also homeless services for people in Seattle who can no longer afford to have shelter in Seattle because of what having Amazon in Seattle has done to that economy. Oh, the rich got richer the lower middle class became destitute and some of them homeless. It has a huge homeless population. And now we are supposed to talk about what a wonderful person he is because he's going to give some money for homeless people and for preschools. When he... I, I can't even... I, you know, I mean, guys... How does one contain, if you're paying attention, how do you contain your rage? Seriously. Uh, Lou says something that is so true about the, it, the, the shelters that we're building to put these kids. Uh, Lou says, it's another 
disaster capitalism opportunity. Yeah, there's money to be made. I can imagine the government contracts that are, man, people are making money on this. Lou says, I really hope somebody follows the money on these detention schemes. You know, it's going to be black water all over again. It's so despicable. God. Can you take any more? Because I got more. I do. It's unbelievable. Remember what Republicans used to, well, supposedly be? They were the people who were very careful about managing budgets. And remember, the story was that when Democrats came in, they would tax you to death and they would spend, 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 spend money. And the debt would rise and the deficit would rise because they were so profligate. The reality has been for decades that it's Democrats who tend to the national finances with care. And it is Republicans who whenever they are in power, drive us further into debt. Revenues fall, debt rises. And then people go nuts and they elect a Democrat. And then the Democrat comes in, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and they spend easily the first half of their presidency trying to fix the mess made by the Republicans. Again, a story we're not paying a lot of attention to, but now under the Trump administration, the federal budget deficit has doubled has doubled from a year ago. We got the kids in detention five times more. We got the budget deficit doubling since last August. Why? Well, because the Trump administration is spending money like gangbusters. And they're not taking in revenues because, of course, they reduce taxes for the rich and for corporations. And consequently, there's not money coming in. But that doesn't stop them from spending. Democrats, at least, when they want to spend, think first about, well, we have to get money. Republicans always want their cake and eat it too. This is all from the Wall Street Journal today. The federal deficit is ballooning as government spending outpaces revenues. The budget gap totaled 
$898 billion in the first 11 months of this fiscal year. That's closing in on a trillion. The Wall Street Journal today reports corporate income taxes in particular have dropped off. Yeah, right. The Treasury said that gross corporate taxes have fallen 20% so far this fiscal year. So, the corporations are not being asked to put money into the treasury in a way, in a manner, and at a pace, at a rate, which they should. So corporate taxes are down 20%. Guess what, though? Yours aren't. Says here, the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury reports, that gross corporate taxes have fallen 20% so far this year, while individual that's you and me, tax receipts, have risen. Let the little people, let the people pay while the corporations just keep raking in more. This is, this is what you want Republicans. That's what you get. All right, also in that same point, in that same ballpark, Nikki Haley our ambassador to the uh, United Nations. Uh, she has an official penthouse residence on First Avenue in New York City. And um, at the very time last year when Rex Tillerson was the Secretary of State, technically her boss, when he was slashing the State Department's budget by by a third, by 31%. When he was eliminating jobs in embassies all around the world, and those jobs, by the way, still unfilled. We don't have ambassadors in, in half these places, let alone State Department uh, civil staff. Um. So while he's doing that, froze all hiring, pushed out a lot of senior uh, diplomats, you may recall this, right? At the very same time that's happening, they okay giving Nikki Haley's penthouse apartment $52,000 curtains for her picture window. $52,000 curtains for her picture window. A purchase made at the same time the State Department was slashing its budget, but let's get our priorities straight here. Now, granted, let me be straightforward here. The curtains themselves cost $30,000. But they're motorized. Because Nikki cannot be expected to draw the curtains manually. And here is 
I do, I do have a quote. Uh, I do have a quote here. This is from um, a State Department spokesman who said, while defending the purchase, all she has is a part-time maid, and the ability to open and close the curtains quickly is important. <laughs> so the motors to run her curtains cost more than the actual curtains themselves. They cost, uh, I don't know, who could even... It took from March to August of last year to install these curtains. That's even more expensive. Remember uh, Ben Carson's $31,000 desk? And how much did uh, Pruitt's uh, private little phone booth in his office cost? These are Republicans minding the store. These are Republicans minding the national treasury. There's no money in it because they don't ask corporations and rich people to put any in. They ask you to. They'll bleed you dry. Trump's tariffs, meanwhile, will make everything you buy cost more. Doesn't bother the corporations. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, guys, you know, I wish there was good news. I don't, I, I, I read the local paper, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I read, um, you know, all this crap on Twitter. I, I'm looking all the time. You know I love good stories, funny stories, heartwarming stories. I'm sure they're still happening somewhere, but nobody's reporting them. It's no wonder we're all in a funk. Kathleen writes, even though your rant is distressing, to say the least, it is also refreshing. Thank you. I am so very tired of the droning of the media that I could puke. Believe it or not, I really wasn't to be a grown-up. What? Believe it or not, I really wasn't to be a grown-up? You always tune me in about the real news in the real world. For this, I thank you. I depend on your program for this. Let's do something to save the soul of the United States. We're trying, aren't we? But people have to understand the state we're in. You know how um, God gets commingled constantly in religion in our so supposedly secular government? It It's always annoyed the hell out of me. But you can understand why most people who don't pay attention think this is a Christian country. Do you know how many, you have any idea how many members of the Congress of the United States admit to not believing in God I didn't think there were any it turns out there are uh, there are two 
There are two, two members of Congress who are open about the fact that they don't believe in a God. And one of the, they're both Democrats, of course, and one of them is uh, a California congressman, Jared Huffman, who has uh, founded something called the Congressional Free Thought Caucus. <laughs> and actually, so it's composed of him, I guess the other guy who doesn't, who admits to not believing in God, and two other Democrats who are free thinkers enough to join the Free Thought uh, Caucus. Um, meanwhile, the portion of American adults who identify as non-believers, who are willing to say, if asked, do you believe in God? They say, mm, nah. You know what the number is? 24%. And it's growing quickly. One quarter of Americans admit they find it a little difficult to imagine, you know, some beneficent uh, God uh, overseeing this mess. In 2000, that number was 14%. When I say rapidly growing, from 2000 to 2018, it grew from 14 to 24%. That's huge. But, so a quarter of Americans don't believe in God, and yet they have no real representation in our government. None. None. Think of all the religious power in Washington. Think of it. It's constant. You can't end a speech without saying, God bless America, right? So why, if a quarter of the country doesn't believe in God, why doesn't that constitute a greater political force? I'm asking. And so are other people. They're wondering. If there's this many non-believers, why isn't there some kind of, you know, in, in numbers, there's strength. In cohesion, there's strength. Why aren't we somehow represented? And so there is an effort, I want to tell you, going on a coalition of secular organizations trying to create some kind of a structure you see, unlike the religion, the religious people, non-believers don't meet every Sunday <laughs> or every Friday night or Saturday, depending on what it is. They don't meet. They don't have buildings they go to. So they have no organization. That's huge. And it is why also politicians are not quite willing to buck the organized religious. And then there's the problem of how do you unite a group around a belief in nothing. So 
one of the people who's trying to put this together says, you know, we don't meet every week, and that's an issue. So another problem, too, is non-believers don't proselytize. <laughs> right? God bless them. So it's hard for them to attract others to the to the fold. But I'm heartened to see that there is this acknowledgement that the number of true non-believers is big in this country and growing, really growing. Because young people are much more inclined not to believe. So harnessing that potential political power is a big deal. Just saying. We have a caller? I hope. Caller? Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, he's talking about religion. This always made me wonder. If you were the creator of the earth, the heavens, and the universe, why in the hell would you care about the pit dancers on earth worshiping you? What the fuck? Why would that even matter to you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many things you Why could... Why can't just be a creator, and that's it. You take it from there. There's something else. Why can't it be that? But see, no, you'd have the religion involved. It could be someone who made the heaven and earth, the universe, and that's it. Done. But no, you can't talk to them about that. That's, oh, no, there's a religion. You've got to be involved. Yep. Like so. I hear you. It's hard for me to... Well, especially after this thing with the Catholic Church. Well, I used to be Catholic until a few decades ago. Uh, that just put my... I'm kind of anti-Christian now. I shouldn't... I kind of gave them credit before, but now I just... I think I have to shut them all down. Okay. I hear you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Um, I don't know how that sounded to you. That was, like, horrible to me. I hope you didn't hear what I was hearing. I hope you could hear it. Um, the caller mentioned the uh, Catholic Church. Now he's a now a non-believing Catholic. Um, for there's more news on the Catholic front. This is getting ridiculous. Um, if you go, uh, you know, ever to the Vatican. Um, and you really time it right, and you got pull somehow, and you end up at, let's say, a mass where the Sistine Chapel choir <laughs> is singing. Why, that's amazing. I mean, the Sistine Chapel choir, uh, you know, has a record deal. I mean, they put out records all the time. I think Deutsche Grammophon is, is, their, um, is their record label. Uh, it's got 20 adult singers and then mostly little boys. 35 little angel-voiced boys between the ages of 9 and 13. They used to be able to castrate them, of course, so they could keep them forever, but now they don't. So there's little angel-boy voices. And... The Vatican has now acknowledged that, and I'm not going to the little boys. I'm just saying angel voices. That I'm not going to go to some 
you know, pedophilia thing here. Yeah. Uh, the leaders of the Sistine Chapel Choir, that would be the choir master and then the chief administrative director, they are now accused by the Vatican prosecution team of money laundering, fraud, and embezzlement. So the guy up there that's like doing this with the little angel voices, he's been, he's been pocketing, according to the Vatican, the proceeds of tours they have done, siphoning money from concert tours into an Italian bank account, that he and the other guy have been using to, well, live the good life. Uh, by the way, the choir was uh, supposed to be touring the United States um, a few months ago in July. And uh, that, all of a sudden, and I don't think at the time it was explained why, the U.S. Uh, tour of the Sistine Chapel Choir and the Angelic Little Boys was uh, canceled. So they never came over here to a much-anticipated uh, tour of the U.S., and now we know uh, the reason. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. By the way, the Sistine Chapel Choir, another little factoid for you today. Uh, it is considered the oldest singing ensemble in the world. Founded by Pope Gregory the Great in the 6th century. <laughs> wow. So, uh, man. You know... There's so many just bad people around. What is with all these bad people? Okay, Ray is, uh, thank you, Ray, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, he's responding to my question about how that call went. He said, if your level, let's say, is at 8, your caller is at 1. Didn't hear a word of it. Any sound engineers in the audience who'd like to do some pro bono work? Damn it. Okay, and now, finally, you know, one of the wonderful things about having a dog is you get up early, and I have to tell you, the sunrise this morning was just beautiful. I mean, if you today's beautiful, but it, boy, as the sun came up and the sky was just astonishingly beautiful. I'm just saying. I guess you don't need a dog to see a sunrise, but I do. <laughs> because I assure you, otherwise I'm out cold. Um, I have one more story here that is, well, I'll let you react to it in your own way. But, um, you know, the world's a small place now, so... Uh, the fact that uh, America has this uh, 
controversy going on about uh, professional athletes kneeling during the playing of our national anthem to protest the treatment of uh, African Americans. Oh, God, speaking of that, I have to say, did you see that uh, the Fox News, something they considered news, was that this poor, dead, 26, 7-year-old black man in Texas who was sitting in his own apartment, who got killed by a cop, who thought it was her apartment. I, do you know this Fox station actually reported breathlessly that the police found a small amount of marijuana in his apartment? What the hell does that have to do? So it's okay that, so that makes it okay that the that he was gunned down in his own apartment by a police officer who thought it was, what? I mean, like, what? I saw that, I just wanted to, I want, you can't even react. To such despicableness. There wasn't just marijuana in his apartment. There was a racist, probably drunk, uniformed cop with a gun. That's what was in his apartment. Okay, I'm sorry. Back to the story. So the news of what's happening here <laughs> travels even to children. And so this is a story of a nine-year-old girl in Australia who has gotten herself in the news there and now even here because the other day at her school when... The class was told to rise to sing the Australian national anthem. She refused to. She sat. She was suspended or put on detention. Nine years old. And she's a white kid. Her name is Harper Nielsen. By the way, the Australian national anthem is called Advance. Australia Fair. I once did an entire show asking people to call up and sing their high school uh, alma mater because any of these songs usually, you know, are so stupid. Ours is stupid. Australia, arise, arouse, a what? Australia is stupid. There are very few anthems that are worthy. <clears throat> anyway. She, when asked why she refused to stand, she said there's one word. There's a word in the song that she finds so wrong that she just can't sing it. And this, it is this line. Australians, 
all let us rejoice, for we are young and free. You know what word she's upset by? Young. This young girl is upset by the young. You know why? Because she said, Australia's not young and free. It's old. The natives have been here for tens of thousands of years living freely. And so, based on the same kind of stuff, she thought, obviously this national anthem says to aboriginal people in Australia, you don't count. We're not even thinking of you. We are young, really young, because we white folks didn't come here for just, until just a few hundred years ago. We are young and free. So this little nine-year-old said, that is just bogus. I, it shouldn't be there. Um, she's right. But you have to ask, how does a nine-year-old arrive at that? Well, of course, her dad is a uh, professor of something, psychology professor. And he said he never said anything to her about it. He said in their family they did discuss the treatment of the indigenous uh, aboriginal population and that this little child had grown up being aware of the discrimination against them. But he said it was... She herself, who, when singing the national anthem, thought, young? <laughs> so anyway, uh, Harper Nielsen is sticking to her guns as nine-year-old. And this has, of course, exploded into a huge uh, story with most Australians wanting to, of course, kill the child. Uh, they are, she's getting death threats. Uh, one um, Sam Watson, an aboriginal elder, told one newspaper, her parents should be congratulated for raising a brilliant, thinking, young student who will not be forced to do something that is against her deeply held beliefs. Oh, my God. So... Australians rejoice, for we are young and free. That's what the white folks can reasonably sing. Yeah, little Tony's saying, I couldn't hear a word. Unbelievable, guys. So, um, unbelievable. Hey, uh... I, we got to go. But I, I, I do have to tell you, next week's a little dicey. Um, I'll be here Monday. On Tuesday, I'll be getting a colonoscopy. Woo! Actually, I'm looking forward to that more than, you know, like having to deal with this crap. Then, after Tuesday, is Wednesday, and that's Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar when, uh, you know, we repent. Uh, so I got two horrific days <laughs> I'm looking at. <laughs> I just thought I'd bundle them all up. Okay, we do the colonoscopy, and then we'll fast for Yom Kippur. And then 
a man, I don't know. So Tuesday and Wednesday, I ain't here, and I'm sorry about that. But, you know, got to do it, both. So thank you. Be here Monday, so join me on Monday, and um, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the, the weather, okay? Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.